So today we celebrate the feast of St. Teresa of Avila. And when you read her life, especially like the, 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 the background, how things were for her initially, how she uh, started out her vocation, how she was beforehand, I find this whole story very, very consoling. Because, I mean, I've, I've said this before, but uh, stories of saints who are like they're born saints, they live saint, and they die saint, that's wonderful. I just really can't relate to that because that's just really not me. Uh, whereas someone born a bit of a... Loose, loose cannon, <laughs> bit of a rebel or something, um, has a good old wake-up call, conversion experience, and then gets a lot better. That I can relate to a lot better. So, uh, so when we read the, the life of, of St. Teresa of Avila, so born in 1515, so this is a very strange time in history, because, I mean, America had just been discovered, not that they were ever lost. They knew exactly where they were, just we didn't know where they were. Um, but so there's this whole new world, right? this, the, the land of promise and the land of, you know, a new beginning and gold rushes and all this kind of thing. So huge kind of hope, right? But then there's also the Reformation about to kick off over here. So like things are, it, it, it's a time of, 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 of storm in a way, a time of great change. But also within the church, like uh, this isn't to, to defend uh, Luther's actions, but like there were problems within the church. There was corruption in the church. There were there were all sorts of issues of of, of graces being sold and blessings being blessings being sold and this kind of rubbish going on as well. You know, so things were not perfect. That there was a need for change. There was a need for reform, absolutely. Uh, but that should always come inspired by the Holy Spirit, not by breaking off from the church. But that's another issue. So she she grows up in, in she's growing up in this time, and. This, is, it, it, this is, has been an issue in religious life up until probably relatively recently, where what are your reasons for becoming a nun? So generally speaking, your reasons should be, I uh, love the Lord, I want to serve him more than anything, and I, you know, I'm not afraid of marriage, I'm not afraid of any other vocation, just I love the Lord more. Great, become a nun, wonderful. That's how it should be. I come from a family of 12. My parents are having a hard time feeding us all. So I think I'll be a nun. Now you've got a problem, right? That's not necessarily a good reason to enter a convent. Or, you know, all the good-looking sisters have been married off. I'm kind of the last one. So the family don't think I have much hope, so I think I'll become a nun. Or they want me to become a nun. Awful reason to become a nun. Uh, or I'm terrified of marriage, so I'll become a nun. Awful reason to become a nun. So, uh, St. Teresa of Lisieux. Sorry, St. Teresa of Avila. Uh, she is uh, a very charming young girl, and she loves boys. There you go. <laughs> right? She loved attention, and she was good at it. She was good at getting their attention. Uh, she liked to be liked. Kind of a normal enough thing. She liked when people liked her, and she was a charming kind of a person, so it was easy to like her. So everyone liked her. A little too much. <laughs> So this became a problem then because then not, it's, it's one thing to be liked, it's another thing to kind of to want to be liked, to try and always do or say things to be a people pleaser so that people will like you. Because invariably, you'll, if you're going to do that, you're going to have to make compromises somewhere. You're going to have to start saying things that ordinarily you wouldn't say, doing things that ordinarily you wouldn't do just to be liked, to fit in, you know? So this was, this, this was her. So her dad was super strict, uh, but strict kind of in the wrong way kind of strict in the way that she was afraid as opposed to kind of wanting to do what he asked because I respect you as my father. She was afraid of him. Okay, so 
I'll try and do whatever I can do and not get caught was more the approach rather than I understand his logic so I'll try and obey him. So she was fairly rebellious and fairly flirtatious and so on. Okay, so the father seeing all of this and his anger not being enough to dissuade her from behaving like this, he sends her to the convent at 16. So off she goes. And there were some pros and cons in the convent. Uh, certain things were good. I mean, your meals are served up to you and they're washed up for you. Um, but there were... There were problems, there were issues in there as well, because this, the social status that people had in society, they brought into the convent, okay? So certain sisters had servants, and certain sisters would have schnazier veils, you know, they'd go for the, the Fendi, is that a thing? <laughs> Fendi veil? Not that Fendi make veils, but they make handbags, don't they? Whatever. Um, uh, Veils that were maybe were silk or silk lined or had more frizzly bits. It's all about the frizzly bits, isn't it? So, uh, because they were, they, were, they were richer. So then they could afford. And, but then, because the convents couldn't always support all of these sisters, it was recommended that a lot of sisters would spend as much time as they could at home. So you're a sister and there you are spending two or three weeks, four weeks a month at home. So the, basically the religious life was just a bit all over the place. Then there were all sorts of kind of stupid things as well that if you were richer you got a slightly larger host because you get more Jesus <laughs> because you've paid more do you know like the insanity of this like you know so so again so the, 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 they had, the, the, there were prayer lives there were good people in there as well yes but then there were all sorts of extremes you know what I mean so they were all like for the sisters in the convent as well they'd have guests coming in all the time also young men staying in there for long periods of time chatting away to the sisters just things that just really aren't prudent. Uh, and then it can be kind of masked, uh, and, you know, we're, we're talking about prayer things, but, like, it, there, there were serious issues. There were serious issues. So then she had to decide, well, will I stay here, or will I go and get married? Getting married probably wouldn't have been much of a problem to her, but she decided she'd stay. So she stays in the, the convent, the Carmelite convent. Okay. The Lord has sometimes a strange way of working because his ways aren't our ways and sometimes we don't listen to him when he speaks quietly as in he, he, he doesn't roar as God isn't a God who roars he, he, but he will constantly and persistently speak in our hearts but if we don't listen what's he supposed to do well at times we need a smack <laughs> at times we need a bit of a wake-up call at times we need something to kind of shake up and hold on, what are you actually at here? Because the way you're going, the way you're living isn't good for you and isn't good for the souls entrusted to you. So at times the Lord needs to allow rather than send. God doesn't punish, but he can allow things uh, that might serve as a wake-up call to us. So at one point uh, she gets malaria and after that, is bedridden, paralyzed for three years. But rather than this kind of reminding her, hang on, your life is actually a fragile thing and it's a short thing. Use it well while you have it, rather than wasting time pleasing people all the time. Try and please God instead. Rather than kind of learning that lesson, she said, oh, I'm too sick to pray. And her prayer life started to get even worse and she started to drift even further from God. So at the age of... 41, which again, keep in mind, in the 16th century, people didn't live as long. There wasn't the health care that there is now. So 41, 
is probably would be well over middle age, midlife. What do we call that? Middle age? It's not middle age. It's midlife. It's old, <laughs> right? Forty-one. You're shoving on at that point. Uh, so, so at about forty-one, speaking to a priest, he tells her in no uncertain terms, "You have to get your prayer life back on track. You have to start praying again. You have to start the practice of mental." And this was uh, something that, that she was, I suppose, su- surprisingly good at. Uh, she, she started then to, to immerse herself in prayer and to really experience the Lord in prayer. And she just has, has just beautiful, simple thoughts on prayer. But they're simple but profound. These things don't have to be academically challenging in order to be, to be profound. She says, prayer is an act of love. Words are not even needed. Even if sickness distracts from thoughts, all that is needed is the will to love. Did she say the feelings of love? Did she say the consolations of love? No, the will. So Lord, I want to love you. Do I feel it? Not at the moment because I'm just too tired or I'm just too sick or I'm just too distracted or I'm just in grief or pain or whatever it may be. So no, I don't feel it. But I will to love you. I wish to love you. I want to love you. St. Teresa of Avila says this is prayer. It's the raising of your heart to God, even if there are no feelings involved. You can't, you can't control your feelings, but you can control your actions. So Lord, I, I give you this time of prayer. I offer my heart to you. And if I feel nothing, I'll do it anyway. So, she began to pray like this for spend time with the Lord for hours and then under the under obedience then I was also asked to keep a diary of of what was happening in her own heart because the Lord was revealing things to her was speaking to her now again at the time unfortunately there were all sorts of uh, problems with people saying that they had visions of this that or the other so there was a mix of kind of you know piety and exaggeration and wild imagination going on as well so this is also the time of the inquisition so if you were spiritually out of line it could have cost you your head (laughs) or your body uh, being burned at a stake so uh, she brings all of these wonderful ideas these wonderful inspirations these God-given desires into the convent And she sees that life here has to change. If we're going to live and serve God, then then we can't live as we have been. Because we're living with vanity, with superficiality. We're we're living with this kind of self-deception. We we think that we're holy just because we're nuns. It doesn't work that way. Just because you have a veil or a collar doesn't make you any holier than anybody else. It's what you do that counts. And things need to change here. So she sets about starting up her own comment. You'd imagine this is fantastic. You'd also imagine that because it's God's will that it's going to be easy. No, that's not the way it works. Uh, as with probably most businesses or, or groups, if someone in, in, in one of these, you know, it happens in, in civil society as well, but I think it's in religious life we're not spared this either. If someone tries to raise the bar, implicitly 
that's an accusation for everybody else. You know, if, if I try to raise the bar, in, without even actually obliging anybody else to do so, if I just say, in my religious community, our programme starts at 7, so I'm in the chapel every morning at 6.30 or at 6, and then, who does he think he is? Think he's holier than us now, or what? He's going to change the programme, does he? I suppose we should all get up, should we? And rather than saying fair, fair play to him, <laughs> do you know, there can, there can be this kind of thing like where, you know, if, some, if someone raises the bar, your own conscience kind of can be kind of awakened. Maybe I should be doing that too. But rather than agree to that, say it's easier to blame the guy who blame the guy who's praying more. So this was what happened with, 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 with Saint Teresa. The sisters who saw her uh, saw the way she lived, and then saw the way that 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 she wanted to, to reform, renew uh, the Carmelite uh, spirituality, they did not react well. There were a few who did, yes, but there were many who didn't. Usually, of course, the superiors who don't, because they're the ones responsible. So they're the ones holding the status quo. They're actually the ones who should be defending or, or deepening the spirituality. So if they see that, that this isn't happening and some other sister, some lower-grade sister is trying to reform things, well, their reaction was, was awful. So she was threatened with the Inquisition. They said, all these spiritual things that you're writing, we can cl see clearly that you are insane. So we'll get a couple of Jesuits to read through your stuff. They'll have ample evidence there to burn you at the stake. That's our problem solved. So they read through her diaries. And she was, she was smart the way she wrote, because she, she would write beautiful things about um, yeah, our, our call to holiness, our call to profound and mental prayer. But then she'd... She'd have a little kind of a tale at the end of it. But what do I know? I'm only alone, a lowly nun. And so then when they read this, when the, when the, inquisitors, when the inquisitors, inquisitors read this, they said, well, okay, she's not proclaiming to be the Blessed Virgin reincarnate or something like that. They could see that there's, there's a humility, there's a, there's a normality here as well. So she was cleared of any accusation of witchcraft. Uh, and she was fine. But like, as I say, there, there, were, there were ructions and rebellions uh, against her because of because she just wants to get back to the charism of their community to serve to pray to love and why is that important because all this happened when she was 43 and i just that that inspires me because she had this reawakening of her faith at 43 there's something there's something very beautiful about that for me because it means that it's, kind of, it's never too late to restart. It's never too late to, to rediscover your faith and to kind of reboot or, 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 or maybe you've lived your faith a certain way for, for decades. And then a moment of grace comes and you know it's, this, is, this is it. This is the deciding time. What do I do now? I don't want to stay praying as I have been. There's, there's a, I need to get deeper. It's not just enough to kind of tick the boxes I've always been ticking. Maybe this is a question of the heart, not the externals anymore. Where is he in here? Do I let him in? Do I let him change me? Do I trust him enough to give him control? Or are there aspects of my life that I, I will jealously hold on to? Because I don't trust him. I don't want to let him in. And as regards my relationships or finances or my past or my, my, my family or 
Maybe there are even situations where, where I feel like blaming God, where I'm just I'm annoyed at him for having allowed certain things, or for not having defended me in certain moments. And there, there, there are wounds, there are hurts there. And these are things I don't want to say to God because I don't want to let go. And so that, this can happen when we're 20, 30, 50, and we can still hold on to these things. And then our spiritual life stays the same or, or maybe never really took off at all. Maybe we just got, got to a kind of a certain little spiritual plateau where we're taking the boxes, going to Mass, and the odd pilgrimage, and we're good to go. But, but my relationship as a lived thing with God maybe never really started. Maybe we, we, we never met God as Father, Jesus as our Savior, as our, as our brother, as our, as our guide, as our healer. Maybe we've never really met the Holy Spirit as someone who can console us. And so maybe it is God that we've been, we, we think we've been dealing with. Maybe we don't know him at all. St. Teresa of Avila, she shows us that our faith can, can, can start again. We can rediscover who he is and enter into a completely different level of relationship with him altogether at any point. And this, I think this, this is a huge consolation. And this isn't only for the mystics or this isn't only for certain people. Like, why, why would the Lord not want to have a relationship with you? Sure, you're fantastic. Why wouldn't he want a relationship with you? He loves you. He brought you into existence. And he holds you in existence. And he wants you to know him. So he waits. He waits patiently. When you think of like the incredible patience the Lord has in every tabernacle. Where maybe in, in some parish churches these days, if there isn't mass every day, he waits there alone for days and days, and then there's the next Mass. And then he can be brought out, either that the hosts are consecrated at that Mass, or the reserves from the, the tabernacle are brought out, and, and he can be received. But how is he received? If he's been waiting for days to be received by, by those who come up, how? What is, what is that reception like? Is he received as, as God or as just part of the liturgy, little Catholic cookie? Is he received with love? Is he received with indifference? Is he received with faith? And then the Mass is over and he waits again. And he waits. And he waits. The humility of God is astounding and the patience that he has for each one of us is beyond belief and he waits for you not accusing you not threatening you but loving you and trying to win your heart trying to win your trust and if we have eyes to see we will see in our lives where he has proven that he is trustworthy. That doesn't mean that we don't have crosses. It doesn't mean that everything was plain sailing. But if we have eyes to see, we will see how he has blessed us so often. St. Teresa of Avila had 
a good sense of humor behind it all. One occasion she was traveling on a carriage from one city to another, and it, was, it had rained a lot, and the roads were mucky, you know, traveling in a steel-wheeled carriage, bouncing all over the place. Then there was some problem with the carriage, and it got bogged down, and she got out and fell into the mud, got absolutely plastered. And the Lord says to her, he reveals to her, he's trying to show her the sense of the cross and the sense of suffering. And he says, so he says, like, you know, when you walk with me, things won't always be plain sailing. This is how I treat my friends. And then she responds to him, it's no wonder you've so few. <laughs> Cheeky. <laughs> but she became a saint. So, Dear brothers and sisters, we can always start again with the Lord. Our faith can always be deeper, and I say that without any accusation. Our faith can always be deeper. And we can always let the Lord into the deeper and deeper places of our hearts. We ask through the prayers of St. Teresa of Avila today that the Lord might be welcome into every aspect of our lives to heal, to guide, to restore, and to draw us to him in peace. Amen. Amen.